we tend to think that all God's doing is right here. Is right here in our church and in our midst and even in New England, maybe if we have a big view. But God's working all over the world. And when we begin to get people in that have traveled all around the world and give us a taste of what God's doing, it expands our hope and expands our faith, I believe. And realize we're part of something so much bigger than, than what's going on right here because it's a big God that we serve. It's a big God that we serve. So we have a privilege to be part of this ministry, to help this ministry. And uh, so without any further ado, this, this, is, this is a man of God that will expand your vision. Would you welcome to our FCC pulpit our friend and brother, Christopher Lam. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father, we come to your presence in the name of your son, Jesus, who you have exalted and glorified. Lord Jesus, I thank you that when you died upon the cross, you bore upon your own self all of our sins and our diseases. And through you, Lord, we have the answer to everything that faces us. Lord, we honor you this morning. We ask you to touch us, touch our hearts, open our minds, open our souls, Father, to receive from you. Most of all, Lord, cause us to bear much fruit so that you be glorified in our lives and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated. I'm really honored to be back here. I've been looking forward to this. Thank you, Pastor John, for your kind words. Amen. I'm kind of overrated, so <laughs> praise God. Amen. I want to start by showing you some pictures of, uh, now this is not a ministry presentation, but these are the latest things we have done the past. Uh, first, I'm going to show you some pictures from India, from our recent campaigns in India. This is in North India in Bilaspur, uh, and this is the final night of our gospel crusade there. In India, as you can see, a lot of people showed up. People got saved, healed. And the next one is, uh, this is, this man was paralyzed in his arm and his leg, and he could not speak, and his, he was completely healed and began to speak. The next one, uh, this father, he comes with his, who came with his child who was born paralyzed, had never stood or walked before to testify that the child is now walking. And the next one, is this woman was completely blind and received her sight. And the next one, now this is, I was invited by a Baptist denomination to do their annual convention. So I asked them, why do you invite me? Do you know who I am? I'm, I mean, I'm full-blooded Pentecostal. And they said, well, we want to know more about the Holy Ghost. I said, you invited the right man. And, and I said that by the time I'm through with you, you won't be Baptist anymore. <laughs> so anyway, and God really moved in a powerful way. And uh, on the last day, we had thousands of people baptized with the Holy Spirit, including all the pastors. So um, uh, I'm going back there, uh, you know, in, um, in February. Anyway, so this is the Baptist Convention in North India. Then the next one is, uh, this is at the Baptist Convention. This man could not walk, but the Lord healed him. He was paralyzed. And the next one is, this woman had a huge tumor in her belly, the size of a basketball, and that disappeared. And the next one is this, now this lady, uh, she had surgery, and they removed her, 
entire, you know, all the stuff that's inside the ear, the inner ear, everything was taken out. There was nothing there. But God did a creative miracle and she began to hear with that ear. So this was all in the Baptist convention. The next one is, now, then from the Baptist convention, I went to a city about uh, uh, three and a half hours away and did a campaign there. And thousands of people showed up there. And this is the final altar call in Imphal in North India, Northeast India. The next picture is this uh, Hindu lady. She was laying paralyzed, carried to the meeting um, by her family. And she got saved and healed and she was running and walking. And the next one, now this is good. This is, these are two, the man with the back to the camera and the other man uh, with the microphone. That's, they, uh, they were both brothers. They were siblings and they were both paralyzed. And they were carried there by their family. And they were both Muslims. And they both got healed. Got up, began to walk, and they both got saved. So as a result of this, we had thousands of Muslims coming to the meetings and, and getting saved. So the word, the word really, you know, got around. So anyway, the next one is uh, in Africa. Now I must add one thing here that the Quran actually says that Jesus was a healer. Uh, that Jesus uh, performed miracles. So whenever there are miracles, Muslims will always come to the meeting because the Quran says that in Jesus there is healing, you know. So uh, if, if there's miracles, so they, they will come. So it's, it's, it's a great, you know, opening for the gospel. Now this is in Africa and this is two Sundays ago. And we were in a little town in Mozambique. It was a, I mean, the town is... Nothing more than a blip in the map. And I don't know. I mean, these people came from everywhere. They came from the whole, you know, surrounding region. So this was the final night uh, two Sundays ago. And we had, we had more than 50,000 in the meeting. And we had more than 20,000 people baptized with the Holy Ghost at one time at the end of the service. So this is... This is two Sundays ago. Then the next one. Now, this is last Sunday. Uh, now, this meeting, it was in a, in a bigger town, but the crowd was smaller. This is interesting. But we still had about 40,000 people there. And this is uh, last Sunday in Mozambique, the altar call um, on the last night. Okay. And this is Chegutu, Zimbabwe. This was a couple of few months ago. This was in Zimbabwe. Chegutu is also another little place and uh, people, uh, people came from all over the entire region to hear the gospel. And the next one is, this is Rimuka, which is another township uh, in, um, outside the town of Kadoma in Zimbabwe. And this is uh, Saturday night. Sunday night is our last night, but this picture was taken on the second last night. And uh, now these are some of the Assemblies of God pastors who participated in our crusade. Okay, the next one is, this is, this is, a, few, this is a picture from our orphan's home. These are some of the boys we have in the orphanage. And the next one, this is a new house we built for our orphans. The next picture. Uh, now this, uh, this is actually last week. This um, paralyzed crippled lady, she gets up from the wheelchair and begins to walk. And the next one, uh, this is also from last week. This little girl was completely blind and received her sight. And uh, this little girl was deaf in both ears. And her big sister had faith for her and brought her. It's wonderful to see the faith of little children 
and she brought her baby sister and uh, who was born deaf and mute and she began to hear and to speak okay the next one this this man had a uh, he had an artery in his groin swollen to the size of a golf ball and the doctor said that that thing can burst any time and he'd die immediately he needed surgery but there were no facilities there to operate on him so uh, he came to the crusade and god healed him and the thing became normal that artery was normal and the next one is uh, this now this this is interesting this lady was in an advanced stage of pregnancy and there had been no sign of life in her womb for months no movement in her womb for months and she carried this dead baby around and uh, while we begin to pray for the sake god touched her and the baby began to kick and to move so this was uh, this was in zambia and the next one again this is this is our missions field the earth anyway okay. praise god hallelujah so so far we have done two crusades in india this year we have done two crusades in india and we got done six in africa and we got two more in africa i'm leaving in uh, four weeks time again we got two more crusades in africa we got two more crusades in india in december and then of course next year we start again with our 12 crusades a year so that's what we are doing now let's go to acts chapter 1 i want to share with you from the word of god praise god in acts chapter 1 starting in verse 4 and being assembled together with them he commanded them that they should not depart from jerusalem but wait for the promise of the father but wait for the promise of the father which says he you have heard of me for john truly baptized with water but you shall be baptized with the holy ghost not many days hence okay and then their response was verse 6 when they therefore were come together they asked of him saying lord will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to israel let us pause here for a while so jesus this was i want to talk to you about the last words of jesus on this earth before he ascended to heaven the final words of jesus before he ascended to heaven so he gathered together he, he was together with them and he was eating with them and he he gave them the commandment there's a commandment that they should they should wait in jerusalem for the gift that the father has promised and he says that in a few days you're going to be baptized with the holy spirit so the thought i come away with from this scripture is that it's a commandment to be baptized with the holy ghost amen it's a commandment to be baptized with the holy ghost anyway so he says that in a few days uh, he says you'll be baptized with the holy ghost so their response was lord is this when you're going to restore the kingdom to israel interesting response but if you understood their situation you would understand why they responded that way now israel 
had been under occupation for around four centuries. For four centuries, these people had been occupied by foreign powers. Now, they were, uh, Israel, as you know, they were a very proud nation, and they were very aware of the fact that they were God's people, and everybody else was heathen, and they had this special corner with the Lord, you know, they were God's people, and they always had their own kingdom, and, and now they had been under occupation, and they were oppressed for four centuries, 400 years. That's longer than the United States has been independent. I think we have been around for maybe close to 300 years, but these people had been under occupation for four centuries. Now, you had the Babylonians who were there. First, they were the you know, they were the occupiers. And then after the Babylonians, the Greeks were there. They oppressed them and occupied them. And then uh, between the Greeks and now Romans, the Romans were there. There was a period of about 60 years when they did have a, you know, there was a, there was a guy called Judas Maccabeus and he, he led an uprising and the uh, result of that uprising was that they could establish a, a, establish a little, little kingdom that was known as the Hasmonean kingdom and that lasted about 60, 70 years, but it was very, very small. It was, it was maybe, uh, 10 miles wide and 10 miles or 5 miles, you know, it was very, very small. And they had their own rule. That was the thing that came as a result of the Maccabean uprising. But that lasted 60 years or so, and then that was gone. And But other than that, they had had no freedom for 400 years. And now the Romans were occupying uh, Israel and they were occupying Jerusalem. So for them, that was the... That was the main thing in their minds. And they were waiting for the Messiah. Because, you know, people normally tend to, uh, how do you say, interpret scriptures uh, from their own situation. You know, you, you look at scripture and your understanding of scripture is, is, is kind of, I should say, tainted by your own circumstances. So for them, they looked at the Messiah because the Bible does say that the Messiah will come and establish his kingdom. So they thought that the Messiah would be a, a conquering warrior, a hero who would come and lead them into war against the Romans and, and, uh, you know, they would throw the Romans out. So, um, so when Jesus came, and he, especially when he did the feeding of the 5,000, that really impressed them. That's when they actually wanted to force him to be their king. You know, they, and, and, and you know, you, you had people like the zealots, that was one group, uh, and the zealots were those who were very, very politically zealous, you know, for, you know, for this whole cause of liberation of Israel. And one of them was actually a disciple, Simon the Zealot. He was one of the disciples of Jesus. He followed around, he followed Jesus around. So they were all looking at Jesus to see what his next move would be. Is he the one who's going to establish the kingdom again? And the, and the longer they saw him, watched him, the more they saw the miracles he did, they were more and more convinced that, that he certainly was the one. But the interesting thing is that during his entire three and a half years of ministry, he never made one reference to the political situation. 
If you think of it, he never, I mean, he never made one single reference to the, the terrible situation that Israel were in as a people for centuries of occupation. And they wanted him to say something. And because his words really carried a lot of weight. You know, they said that nobody has ever spoken like him. So they wanted him to say something. But, but, you know, he, he just kept on preaching and, uh, you know, and, and, and he said things that they didn't want to hear. Someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. Someone wants you to go a mile, go two miles. Someone wants your shirt, give him your coat also. You know, I mean, he, 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 he preached the opposite of what they wanted to hear. And then, then, and so, but they still kept their hopes up because he was doing miracles. And the next thing, you know, he dies on the cross. And the dream died with him. Then three days later, he rises from the dead. So they get their hopes up again. Wow, he's risen from the dead. He's back. He's made a comeback. The Messiah is the comeback kid. He's going to do something now. So then he began to teach them. And this is his last day. And he says, now listen guys, this is what you do. He says, you, you stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And so they thought, maybe this is it. And so they said, aha, is that when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You understand the background behind those words. You understand it, why they said that. And, but you see, Jesus, he saw things from a different perspective. He saw things from... God's eyes and with, with God, a, a, you know, a, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. And at that time, I'm sure people didn't understand him. Why he did and spoke the way he did. But if you look back, we understand. But there were a couple of times he did say things that would... Give them a hint of things to come. Like when he stood outside the temple. And he said you know. He says you see these buildings. You see these walls. He says not one stone will be left upon the other. Right. And it was true. Everything that Jesus said was true. Because there was another uprising. And 70 years after Christ. The Roman legions under Titus. They came and they destroyed Jerusalem. Reduced the city to rubble. Nothing was left of the temple and the Jews, they were kind of, they, they had to flee and there was this diaspora. You know, they went all over the world and it was at least 1900 years before Israel became a nation again. 1900 years before Israel became a nation again. But out of all that rose something much more powerful than Israel. That is the kingdom of God. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. A unique kingdom in the sense that it has no national flag. It does not have a national boundary. Its king is a crucified and risen savior. Who's at the right hand of the father. And this kingdom. This kingdom of God. It's expanding and growing. So even the kings of this earth are bowing before the king of kings. 
I lived in Europe for many, many years. My wife is from Sweden. And if you, if you study the royal houses of Europe, they have a thing called a royal orb, which is on top of every crown. It's, a, it's like a ball with a cross on it, which actually means that Jesus Christ is the king of this earth. And which says that we may be kings, but Jesus is our king. He is the king of kings. So every royal house in Europe who are kings and queens, they recognize Jesus Christ as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So out of that rubble of what was Israel, the kingdom of Israel, and the Jews wanted their kingdom back, it never came back. It was 1900 years until they got their nation again. They got a piece of land that they could call their own. But out of that rose the church that has brought salvation and eternal life to millions and hundreds and hundreds of millions of people all over the world. But you see, Jesus saw that. They couldn't see that. They just saw their immediate circumstances. Do you understand what I'm saying? So now you understand the background to why they said, Lord, is this when you will restore the kingdom again to Israel? But look at the answer that Jesus gave. Verse 7 and 8. He says, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he spoken these words, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. These were the very last words of Jesus. He says, it's not for you to know the dates and the times that the Father has decided, but you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And after that, the moment he had said the uttermost parts of the earth, he kind of just took off like a helicopter. And they watched him. They'd never seen him do that before. And he kind of, he disappeared into the clouds. And then, you know, later on it says that there were some angels who appeared. They say, you men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking? He says, this same Jesus is going to come back this very same way. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> and of course, they said, well, what do we do? Well, let's go to the upper room and wait for the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. Now, you see, Jesus is establishing his kingdom. We just see, you know, like those Israelites and what is happening around us. But Jesus is building up his kingdom. And there will come a day when the great United States of America, China, Russia, all these nations, all these presidents and prime ministers and kings, they're going to be footnotes in history. But Jesus will be the king of kings and the lord of lords. And the Bible says... The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God and of His Christ and He shall reign forever and ever. And Paul says in Hebrews chapter 12, 
He says at this time his voice shook the earth. And now he has promised once more. I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things. So that that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Hallelujah. So let us serve God with reverence and with awe, because our God is a consuming fire. That is the plan and the purpose of God. So, you know, Jesus, man tends to see his circumstance. But Jesus, he always sees the bigger picture. And we actually have the capacity to see the bigger picture if we want to. Because the Bible does say, Paul said, but we have the mind of Christ. If we can get into that mode, the mind of Christ mode, then we will understand precisely what he's talking about. God has a plan. God has a purpose. Hallelujah. Then of course there are things happening all around us. The world is changing and there are, I mean, things, there are things happening around us, but God has a purpose. And that's what Jesus was looking at. And they thought, doesn't even care what is happening to us. Four centuries of oppression. And, you know, he's an Israelite like us. Doesn't even care. But he knew. He knew. 70 years. That's less than 40 years after Christ. Jerusalem would be destroyed. The Jews would be scattered for more than 1900 years. But out of that rubble would rise the kingdom of God. Which is forever. Which has grown stronger. And stronger and stronger and stronger since that day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now let's go back to, now you have the historical background. Let's look at the words of Jesus. Let's look at this. The first thing he says, when the Holy Ghost comes. You know, this is powerful. When the Holy Ghost comes. The Holy Ghost is the third person of the divine trinity. He's not an impersonal power or an influence or something, you know, oh, it would be nice to have the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the third person of the divine trinity. The Father is in heaven on his throne and Jesus ascended to heaven and Jesus is actually at the right hand of the Father. But the Father and the Son send down the Holy Spirit. So that they could speak and work and act through him. So he says, when the Holy Ghost comes, that means there is a time when the Holy Ghost will come. That's what he was talking about. And the Holy Ghost did come. Amen. Now he was looking about 10 days into the future actually. It was about 10 days after the ascension of Christ that the Holy Ghost came. But we are looking back. Around 2,000 years backward, the Holy Ghost has already come. Amen? Amen. But he says, when the Holy Ghost comes, and he comes upon you, the Holy Ghost wants to come, but he wants to come upon you. Upon each person 
who is in this place, he doesn't want to leave you untouched. When the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, hallelujah. The Holy Ghost wants to come, but he wants to come upon you. So my question to you would be, have you opened your heart and received the Holy Spirit in his fullness into your life and given him the Lordship over your life? Because only if the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity, has Lordship in your life, can Jesus Christ have Lordship in your life. Because Jesus Christ lives and works and acts and speaks through His Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, it says, you shall receive power. And evidence of the fact that the Holy Ghost has come upon you is the fact that when the Holy Ghost comes, you shall receive power. Now that word power is the Greek word dynamis, which actually in modern day language you can translate it into brute force. That word is the same word that is used in Mark chapter 5 when the woman with the issue of blood came and touched Jesus and Jesus said that I felt how the virtue flowed from me. That word virtue is the word dynamis. So that was something that so permeated. Jesus was so full of it. That when that woman with the issue of blood. Touched the hem of his garment. That dynamis. That brute force. That power of God. Flowed from his garments. And healed her of an incurable disease. In another place, it says that, that when people heard that Jesus was around, they just asked to be laid down by the path that he passed so that they could at least touch his garment as he walked by. And each person who touched him was healed because dunamis was flowing from him. That dunamis that flowed from Jesus and healed the sick and raised the dead, Jesus is saying, when the Holy Ghost that comes upon you, you shall receive that very same power. So our expectation should not be less than that. Amen. Your expectation from the Holy Ghost shouldn't be in something that, you know, people call it, oh, I got my prayer language. Well, thank you very much. But there's more to it. Amen. Amen. So when the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, you shall receive the same miracle working power flowing out of you as it flowed out of Jesus when the woman with the issue of blood touched him. Why? So that you shall be my witnesses. That is the whole purpose of that power flowing through you and me. So that we can be witness. Now what is a witness? A witness is somebody who can give evidence in court. Amen. You know if, if, if there has been a crime or a, or, or a situation. And they said we need witnesses to come forth. And, and I show up and say are you a witness? Yes. Uh, were you there? No. But I saw it on television. Or I read about it in the newspaper. Or my neighbor was there and he told me. Well, I'm not a witness. A witness is somebody who can give evidence. And we are witnesses of Jesus. Because we have seen him and we have experienced him 
in our lives. That is why we are witnesses for Jesus. Now, if you, if you have not experienced Jesus in your life, you can, you need to get saved. Now, some people in America are religious. A religious person is someone who gives mental assent to Jesus. And he thinks Jesus is wonderful, but he has not experienced him. That's the difference between religion and salvation. There's lots of religious people. All around us. And sometimes people don't know the difference between two. But a person who has experienced Christ... He is called to be a witness. He is called to give evidence to people that I know that Jesus Christ who was dead is alive today. Because you see, if you, if you read the, if you read, if you go to the book of Acts and you read about the, you know, the early apostles, the early disciples, you know, they didn't have a New Testament to preach out of. The New Testament hadn't been written as yet. So what is it that they preached? Well, it says, Again and again in the book of Acts, it says, With great power they gave evidence of the resurrection of Christ, and great grace was upon them all. They had one message, that this Jesus who you crucified, he's risen from the dead, and of that we are witnesses. A witness is somebody who can prove to people that Jesus Christ is no longer dead, but he is alive. Amen. Hallelujah. And a living Christ heals the sick. A living Christ changes life. A dead Christ can do nothing. A dead Christ is just as good as a dead Muhammad. I'm sorry, I've been a Muslim. And I've been to dead churches that act like Jesus is dead and there is no difference. Hello. Do you understand what I'm saying? In fact, it was more, more exciting to be Muslim because we got a little bit of violence and all that, you know. Dead churches have nothing. Do you understand what I'm saying? A living Christ, what the world needs is a living Christ. A dead Christ can do nothing but a living Christ. He changes people's lives. He heals the sick. He sets people who are free, uh, sets people free. Hallelujah. You shall be my witnesses. That means that when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you shall receive the same power that flowed from the garment of Jesus when that woman with the issue of blood touched him. And you shall take that power and you shall give evidence to the people that this Jesus Christ who we believe in is no longer dead, but he's alive. That's why, beloved, we have to... Now, you say, well, you know, I've never thought of that before. Well, think of it now. So, well, so, what do I need to do? Are you going to have a special laying on of hands? Look, you don't need laying on of hands. What you need to do is start believing what the Bible says. We need to start believing that Jesus is, is alive. He's not dead. We need to start talking and acting as if Jesus was alive. Amen. Because God will only give you more power and revelation when you begin to walk in the power and revelation that he has already invested in you. Unless you begin to walk in the things that are already in the Bible, 
God will not give you more. People say, I want more power. You don't need more power. You just begin, need to begin to walk in that which you already have received from God. And if you don't know that what you have already received from God, go to the book. It's all there. Hallelujah. Now, you shall be my witnesses. You shall give proof that I am no longer dead, but I am alive. Where? Firstly in Judea. In Jerusalem, I'm sorry. In Jerusalem. Where is Jerusalem? Jerusalem is where you live. That's, that's your Jerusalem. Judea. Judea, remember he was speaking to Jews. Judea was like the whole, Jerusalem was the city. Judea was the whole land of the Jews, where the Jews lived. Jerusalem, Judea, that's your larger territory. Then he said, Samaria. Now that gets interesting. Samaria, those are the people, the Samaritans. Those are the people who are not like you. Hmm? They're your enemies. People who are different. They speak a different language. Have a different religion. They don't believe like you. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, they said, well, you know, we worship on this mountain. You worship on that mountain. Remember that? We have different religions. And who are they? Well, that's out of your comfort zone. For most Americans today, who would that be? Muslims. Now, I used to be a Muslim. I know what Muslims believe. I know what they don't believe. I can tell you who is a Muslim and who is not a Muslim. Unfortunately, in America, people think all Muslims are bad. So, if there's anyone they don't like, the worst thing they'll call him is he's a Muslim. Let me tell you one thing. The President of the United States, he has said and done a lot of things I don't agree, but he's not a Muslim. He's not. People are just dumb. They believe things that... I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go there. But, but why do they call him a Muslim? Because that's probably after 9-11, that's the worst thing we can call somebody. Do you understand what I'm saying? Before that, it was a Nazi. Uh, it was a communist. There, there are certain things Americans don't like, so they'll put that stamp. They call someone a Nazi, call someone a communist, call someone, uh, you know, I mean, and, and our president, he has been called all kinds of things. But, but let, let me tell you one thing. Muslims, they are not our enemies. They are loved by God. They are people who are lost, like I was lost. They believe in a lot of wrong things, but they believe that that's what they have been taught. That's how they have grown up. We, were, I mean, we should be thankful that we were born in America because where were, what would you be like if God willed that you were born in one of those countries? You'd be one of them. I wasn't a Muslim because I chose to be a Muslim. I was a Muslim because I was born into a Muslim's home. My father was a Muslim, so I grew up as a Muslim. That's all I knew. But somebody had to tell me about Jesus Christ. And if that somebody had not told me, I would be like one of my best friends from the time I was in the military, who is now a spokesperson for the Taliban. He was my buddy. We used to hang out together. 
I saw him on YouTube the other day. I couldn't believe it. He's saying the same things that Taliban and ISIS are, are saying. And I, I said, thank God for Jesus. Because if it wasn't for Jesus, I could have been him. It is Jesus who makes the difference. Amen. That's why Jesus said, we shall give evidence of that, of the fact that he's the living savior. He's the only savior here at home and in our territory and outside our comfort zone to those people who we don't like, who we perceive to be our enemies because they're lost and Jesus loves them and he died for them upon the cross. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then it says, to the ends of the earth. Hallelujah. Beyond Samaria. Now, you know, talking about the ends of the earth. The Jews, you know, these are the disciples of Jesus were Jewish. The Jewish people don't think of the ends of the earth. They just want their piece of land there. You know, God said to Abraham, took him to a high place, he says, look around you. How far do you see? And how far can you see from a mountain top? Maybe about 40 miles. That's it. On a clear day, if there's no haze, there's no clouds, the sky is clear. That's all. And God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you this land from this river to this sea, from this desert to that side. This is yours. And that's all the Jews ever wanted. They just, they, they don't want to conquer the whole earth. There's no Jewish conspiracy to take the whole earth. They just want that piece of land. That's it. Right? And that's what God said to Moses. I'm going to give you this piece of land. But to us, what did Jesus say? To the ends of the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The whole earth is the Lord's. Hallelujah. The whole earth belongs to Jesus. All mankind belongs to Jesus. That is the mandate that God has given the church. I mean, you know, what the Jews want. Really, if you look at Israel, it's so tiny. I think it's about like 50 miles by 30 miles. It's a, it's a very small sliver of land. It's not big. It's small. That's all they want. But for the church, he says, to the ends of the earth. Wherever you go. Wherever you go. Wherever there is people. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Hallelujah. The whole earth belongs to the Lord. So the church's mandate is huge to bring the kingdom and I've been there. You know, I've been to some places. I went to one place. They said, Brother Christopher, this is the end of the earth. I flew six and a half, seven hours east of Jakarta. And we landed in a town, city called Jayapura. And we we're going to go to the interior. It's in a place called Irian Jaya. And I said, how do we go there? They said, there's no roads. It's all jungle. You can only fly there. So we flew in a smaller aircraft. And we landed in this airstrip. And there was a little town. And we got out, and one of the first people I see is a man walking stark naked. Completely nude. No, he was wearing a baseball cap and, a, and Ray-Bans. 
so at a certain level, progress has reached those places. <laughs> because he was wearing a baseball cap and a pair of Ray-Bans. Otherwise, he was, he was stark naked. Then, you know, he was touching and scratching himself all over. Then they're very friendly. He wanted to shake my hands, and I didn't want to shake his hand. <laughs> then he wanted to hug me, and the pastor said, you better shake his hand because they get very offended if you don't. So I shook my hand, and I took out my hand sanitizers. I said, thank God for the man who invented Perel's, you know. God bless Mr. Perel. But the ends of the earth, that's what God has given us. And you know, we need to, we, beloved, listen, we are God's church. We are God's people. We need to think bigger. We need to start, we need to have a bigger vision. We need to start seeing further out. Hallelujah. Because just like God said to Abraham, what do you see? He's asking us, what do you see? And we see much further than Abraham ever did. We see much further than Abraham ever did. Because all that Abraham did was stand on that mountain and he saw with his physical eyes. We have CNN. We, we you know, we have things. We see, we, you know, we, we see things far out. Now, I remember, let me finish by telling you a story. Many years ago, when I was a little kid, I think I was maybe eight or nine years old or something. And my father was, uh, uh, was transferred to what is now known as Bangladesh, which was East Pakistan at that time. So we went out there. And one day, my father, he, he took us and we went on a jeep way into the jungles. My little brother and I and my dad and some of his friends. And I said, where are we going? He said, we are going uh, on, a, on, a, on a hunt, an expedition to catch wild elephants. Now, not, not killing elephants, but catching them live because elephants are used in those countries, in the jungles to, uh, or, you know, like trucks, you know, to haul teak and haul limber and all that big, uh, timber and wood and all that because you, um, vehicles can't go in there. So we were in there and then, and there's no border border post there that you're in this country or that country. And we went into Burma because the, those jungles are, you know, they're spread out over Bangladesh and Burma. And we went into Burma and then we were told we are in Burma right now. And uh, I remember when I was in Burma, I remember this as a kid that I heard something say in my heart that one day you're going to come back here and, and you're going to do some big things here. That's all. And I forgot all about it. Until took about 30 years later, I found myself in Burma. And I came there and preached there the first time and, 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 and God moved and revival broke loose. And then I came back home and then the Lord told me, I want you to go back to that country. And I want you to start preaching and planting churches. But I knew that Burma was a country where the Christians were persecuted. People were tortured. People were thrown into prison. They had a military dictatorship. Now the country is opening up. But I'm talking about 20 years ago. 18 years ago, 1998. There was, um, there was a lot of oppression there. And the Lord said, I want you to go there and I want you to start planting churches there. And I said, Lord, I will go. But I will only go if your Holy Spirit will go with me. Because you, these are not things you can do on your own. 
just because you have a good strategy or you have good financial backing or you have a good plan, you know, those things can take you, those things work in a place that is safe. But I say, when you go to a place like Burma, unless the Holy Ghost goes with you, your goose is cooked. So I went there, and uh, there's many elements to this story, but I won't go into all that for lack of time. But I went into Burma, and uh, I went in there, and uh, the first crusade I did was in the city of Mandalay. You probably heard, you know, the road past Mandalay and all that. Mandalay is the city of temples, is the headquarters of militant Buddhism. One out of every inhabitant in the city of Mandalay is a Buddhist monk or a nun. I looked outside my hotel room, just looking out of my window, I counted 46 shrines and temples on the hills. There's shrines and temples everywhere. It's absolutely demonic. So, we, the government had given us permission. Well, there was a little assemblies of God church there and they had a big piece of land. And they had said to the government, look, this is December. Can we hold a Christmas festival? So the government has said, okay, you can do your Christians, you can do a Christmas festival, but you're not allowed to advertise. You're not allowed to to invite any, any Buddhists or any of our people there. You've got to keep it within the compound, the confines of your land, and you're not allowed to advertise anybody else, uh, you know, for others to come. We said, fine. So what they did was they put, they put up a platform, and I and my team, we got up there wearing those funny Santa Claus hats because they associate those things with Christmas. And so we sang some songs, some Christmas carols, and then I got up and preached and told them the Christmas story about how Jesus, he came with, to give peace on earth and goodwill to all men. And how he's the savior of mankind and how he died on the cross. You know, all this is the Christmas story. And how he rose up from the dead and I did the altar call. Thousands of people had gathered there and the first person who got healed was a Buddhist monk. He was deaf and God had opened his ears. The next day, I saw, I mean, we had so many miracles that first night. The next day, I saw men in camouflage fatigues walking around there. They were armed. I knew this was not the Burmese army because the Burmese army doesn't wear camouflage. They wear olive green. So I said to my guys, I said, this doesn't look good. Who are these people in camouflage fatigues? Well, we found out that, you know, Burma has about 14 different insurgent Groups of guerrillas fighting the government. And some of them are still fighting, but some of them have a ceasefire arrangement with the government. And this is one of the bigger groups. And they had a ceasefire arrangement with the government. But they control their own territory. The general commanding this guerrilla army, he had gone completely deaf in one ear, and he was partially deaf in the other ear. And he... Uh, had heard of this meeting. So he had driven seven hours down from the mountains. And he came to the meeting and God healed him and he got saved. And he stayed the whole week. So I spent time with him and he told me, he's after, you know, towards the end of the week, I took him out for lunch. He said, Pastor, I just want you to understand. He said, I fought the government for 28 years 
because I believed that we had been deprived of our human rights. But this week has made me realize that that which we have been deprived most of all is the gospel. He says, I have never felt in my life like I feel right now. Can you please come to my area and preach the gospel? So I went there and did a crusade and we planted a church there. And we became good friends. Now, in that meeting, there was another person who got saved. Was the number two female movie star of Burma. She came wearing a wig and wearing big sunglasses and she got saved. We didn't even know that. Now, that lady today... After she got saved, she left the movie industry and she's now married to an Assemblies of God pastor. That movie star. She called her brother up in the north in another city right by the Chinese border. And this man was a doctor who owned a private hospital. And said, you must have these people come and preach for you. This doctor contacted us and said he was the brother of this movie star who had gotten saved at our crusade. That's how I found out. And so we went there and God began to move there. We were in a place outside the city. We had thousands. We had, the, we had a football field that was covered with people. Miracles were happening. One night there were 12 lame people who got up and walked. I mean, people were hearing of what was happening. They were coming down from the villages in the mountains and there was revival. Yes. Well, what happened was that the secret police, now all this is very illegal. They don't like this. So the secret police followed me around, but they couldn't stop me because of the crowds. They didn't know what to do with me. So they went to the chief of police and they said to the chief of police that... Uh, you know, we have to stop this guy, but we don't know how to. We don't want to create a riot. There's so many people there. So the chief of police said, what is he doing? They said, well, he's telling people about Jesus. And what? He said, well, our Buddhist people are giving their lives to Jesus Christ. They're becoming Christians. And he said, oh, this is not good. And what else is he doing? They said, well, blind people are receiving sight. Lame people are walking. Deaf people are hearing. <laughs> he said, what? Blind people receiving sight? He said, yes. He says, now you guys stay here. I'll go and check that myself. <laughs> now, what nobody knew was that this chief of police had an incurable eye disease. He had lost half of his eyesight. He had gone down 50% and it was going down steadily. But he hadn't told anyone because he didn't want to lose his job. Well, what happened? I found this out. He came that night and he got healed. And after that, the police left us alone. How do I know this? Because he was a patient of the doctor who had invited us to town. He told me. He told me that the chief of police got his eyesight. We planted two churches there in that city. And we began to plant churches. And we went from city to city in Burma. Until I planted, my team and I, we planted 178 churches in Burma. Under intense persecution. Hallelujah. You see, God has given us a mandate. He says, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. You shall give evidence that Jesus Christ is not dead, but he's alive. Here in Seekonk, Massachusetts. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Hallelujah. 
The gospel must be preached. The gospel shall go out. Wherever there's people, they need to hear the gospel. But the gospel will only go out through you. You are God's instrument. And you must rise up. And begin to search the scriptures. And ask the Lord. What is it that I have received from you? Show me what it is that you have invested in my life. Through the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. I was reading this morning. He came to his own but his own received him not. But as many as received him. To them. He gave power to become the sons of God. Hallelujah. He has given us power to walk like sons of God upon this earth. To walk a life of faith. To walk a walk of power. Hallelujah. God wants to use you. God has a plan and a purpose for you. Let's bow our heads together. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you. I honor you. I glorify you. Thank you, Father.